Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Welcome, folks, and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now, if you have any questions or concerns about your poor plant material out there in this heat and everything else, what do you do? Do you leave it alone? Do you water? You'd, here's, a, here's a quote from Tracy, my wife. But uh, she said, you know, those plants in the front of the house, they really look bad. She, was, she teaches swimming at the Y. So she was going over... For her swim lessons, she was leaving about 4.30. That side of our house has the afternoon sun just beating down on this plant material. And what this is is moonflower vine. And I said, Tracy, it's just the heat of the day. That's why it's wilting down. It's not anything wrong with the plant at all. So if you, if you have plants that are wilting in the heat of the day, the sun's striking them directly, don't automatically think they need water right then. What you need to do is wait until the next morning or you know, later in the evening and check them to see if this foliage is back up and rigid. So anyway, enough of that stuff. So on Saturday mornings, oh, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with questions, comments, or concerns. And last week, if you were listening, we learned, Alex and I both, something about goats to go. <laughs> <laughs> and a couple of people actually emailed me to assure me that goats do eat poison ivy. And I was thinking myself, uh, I'm assuming these goats, you know, make goat milk. And that's how you make goat cheese. I was thinking maybe I should start harvesting the milk from these goats that eat poison ivy and then release a type of goat cheese called poison ivy. That would probably be a big seller. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway, Saturday mornings we get together and we discuss uh, whatever, your backyard, your front yard, your lawn, specialty garden space, the taste of the tropics, how your houseplant's doing, what is your potting mixes doing, how to improve your soil to get ready for fall planting, shearing, pruning, removing diseases and bugs and all that other stuff. And the information that I provide is just help you orchestrate and hopefully solidify your options and you'll make the final judgment in relationship to all other or other factors as well. This is your show, and I certainly appreciate you having me in your home, your car, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another important player in this game is Alex. He's producing. So when you call, all you need to do is tell Alex who you are, your first name, and where you're calling from. He doesn't need to know the question or what your concerns or anything else because he just goes, huh? He's, he's not a horticulturalist. So he doesn't know. Anyway, but he's great. He's producing, and that's what his job is. I'm Mike Miller. By the way, I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations and the Internet. I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. That's a magazine that comes out every two months. During the week, I do landscape consulting, where I come to your home and do what I call a walk and talk. 
You can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. Homepage will have my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. At the corner of Arundis and Bates, near the train tracks, Holly Hills Community Garden. The west end of this garden space is a stormwater intake, which works out very, very well. A sign asks, if you're interested in a garden, in gardening here. If so, go to garden at hollyhills.info. And there's some major changes to this bed space, or I guess garden space. It's been there for quite a while, and I've been, since we moved from Sular to South City, I drove by it on Bates all the time, and I started just stopping by routinely, usually about once a season. And they've really reduced some of the bed spaces. They've gotten rid of the Russian sage. They've gotten rid of some of the roses. And it looks uh, much nicer than it actually did. It was getting a little bit wild, and it was a lot of work to maintain it. So there's all kinds of other things going on as well in there. Historically, though, the red buds are still there. They flowered this spring, so they have the pods hanging down. Red buds are in the same family as the peas. And the river birch are dominant of those individual you know, really a whole setting, probably on the south side and on the west side, both river birch. And uh, there's individual plots. They're probably like four or five feet by maybe 10 or 12 feet long. And some of the planting includes there's some better boy tomatoes. There's a couple different kinds of uh, bell peppers. One's called orange bell. The other one's lunchbox. I don't know the lunchbox one. Orange bell, I do know. Newly planted, well, somebody is getting ready for fall already in the heat of the summertime. They've planted carrot seeds, kale seeds, lettuce seeds, and spinach. There's some robust fennel growing right now. Yellow flowering cucumbers, Roma tomatoes, almost ready to harvest, and parsley as well. Marigolds, eight-foot-high sunflowers, wow. Basil's in flower, so somebody should harvest that basil because once many of the herbs go into flour, uh, they kind of, you know, lose their oomph as far as their spiciness. And there's dill, too, in flour. There's white eggplant going or growing. Zucchini, some ready to pick. In the far corner, I guess it would be the southwest corner of this uh, garden plot area, this is, uh, you're going to find a picnic table and an equipment shed right there. There's big, I mean, some huge milkweed plants, purple comb flowers, lamb's ear, and Irish foliage, which, which Irish, no, iris, which actually had been bloomed, bloomed earlier in the spring. Now it's just the foliage and it's starting to turn brown. There's some thistle in there too. So, and one thing, there was some nice-looking sage. Sage had the purple flowers that was really great. Corn was tasseling. And that was probably the most attractive thing out of everything in this garden space was the tasseling corn. There was bees all over it. There was a large, there was a large uh, clump of pampas grass, and that's right by the water spigot. Cardinals were trying to teach their kids how to, you know, what do you need to do? Why am I hanging out in this garden and everything else? So it was really kind of fun. There was a mother and a father both, and there was a young one. They were on the sidewalk, and it was like they were trying to teach him something. But anyway, it was a great day at the uh, Holly Hills Community Garden, which is, uh, as I said before, Arundis and Bates Avenue. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. 
Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, you got any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Charles Brennan was in the station earlier today. He'd stop by, he had to record a spot, and he was asking me about his lawn. Apparently, he's got a major fungus problem with his lawn, and uh, it's it can be brutal. It can be both directions. With humidity like this, so... And, I mean, fungus can be spread lots of different ways. It can be spread by the, even the your dog's paws, your mower blades, whether it's your mowers or a professional company's mowers. So if you, you know, if you're worried about, and the problem with fungus is usually by the time you see it, it's, you know, major problems. And putting a fungicide down, you basically arrest it and stop it from getting that much worse but uh, anticipation and watching your lawn very closely early in the season so you can get that fungicide down quickly to really stop it before it gets exaggerated. So, Lots of stuff going on. And, Alex, where are we going? We're going to go to Donaldson, Illinois, and talk to Danny. Hi, Danny. Good morning, Mike. Uh, I appreciate you being my go-to guy when i got a question out right. there. Um, what's your feelings on weed and feed? this time of year uh as far as putting a fertilizer what first of all what type of lawn do you have i'm assuming you have a cool season lawn yeah it's actually for a friend of mine uh cut the grass for him the other day and they said they'd like to have some weed and feed spread and i thought i don't i didn't know if the you know the hot weather or or the time of year that we were in you know i'd never personally applied it so i hated to put something on without knowing a little about it right i would not be putting any kind of Weed and feed, especially fertilizer. I'm assuming, again, this is a cool season lawn. You could really cause some major problems by fertilizing it. If he wants to get okay. the weeds under control, just use Weed Be Gone without the fertilizer. And But still, okay. with that, you have to watch out You know, from a careful standpoint as far as temperature-wise because it could actually, you know, it's only in theory supposed to impact broadleaf weeds. So, in other words, things with... Uh, leaves that are wider than grass blades, but if it's too hot, you could it could be burnt even by that. So it's very okay. very touchy to do any kind of chemical applications this time of year. Okay, I guess I'll follow that up with. Uh, they're talking Monday, Tuesday highs in the eighties. Is that still probably too warm to be applying? No, it? no. Once you get down, you know, you know, to that circumstance, you're okay. But uh, also, you got to watch out for rain. A lot of times. I've put, you know, let's say some herbicides down, and then all of a sudden pop-up thunderstorms came and virtually washed it away because it was within an hour or two of me actually putting, you know, the herbicide down. So, I mean, you're juggling a lot of different things to make it so it's effective, it's going to do what you want it to, and not cause or create other problems. Okay. I guess uh, finally, uh, if we were to do that and everything was falling in line, Right after a grass cutting, would that be ideal or cut it, wait a few days and apply it? No, no, you can do it. I wouldn't necessarily do it. Well, you're probably okay, you know, to do it right after. Now, is this a, is this a liquid or is this a granular type circumstance? Well, that was my next question, too, because I have no past history with using it at all. I didn't know it was a liquid better than a granular. I've got lots of questions, Mike. Yeah, I mean, liquid's fine. The thing with a granular is... 
once you put it down, you got to water it in. So okay. build in that time factor, you know, as far as how much time you're going to spend on this lawn for this gentleman. Okay. All right. I got answers now. I appreciate your help as always. Great. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. Okay. Now we're going to head over to Afton, Missouri and talk to Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi, buddy. How you doing? Very good. All right. Um, my question is about Rosa Sharon, Mike. Now, um, my old neighbor had them all along his fence line. Now, he's long gone, and the only ones that are left are volunteers in my yard. A really nice little patch of them, probably about three by five. It must just be a place where they really love to grow. Even though there's ivy there, it grows up right through that. Mm-hmm. Well, my question is, every year, um, they're kind of creeping down along my fence line. But everywhere there's a flower, I guess there's these seed pods. Can I help them along by taking those pods and planting them? Uh, you could try it, but uh, the success with growing them from seed that way is, you know, it's going to be somewhat iffy. The, you know, you you have them in your yard basically from the seed, but there's probably been a million seeds during the course of time where you have, oh, yeah. I don't know how many plants. So that's Are kind they? of, it's just going to be a roll of the dice. You can play around with it if you want to, but uh, success-wise, it's going to be iffy. Are they a seed that, like, you know, kind of like milkweed or something that plants in the winter? Uh, no, they're, you know, not necessarily. They're not necessarily, I mean, you, so you can't I, even can buy those you know, Rosa Sharon seeds. All the production nurseries and everything else, they grow them from cuttings. They don't grow them from seed yeah. because you yeah. never know what the seed is actually going to be as far as color-wise and everything else. I was just curious because there's so many, and I thought, I wonder if I could, if I could do that. You could try it. But what I would do is, if you're really serious about doing this, I would get a potting mix for seed starting and put the seeds in a pot oh. and get flats that, you know, like in a nursery where you would buy, a, you know, a flat of ground cover and grow them right. in the flats and see what happens from that standpoint as opposed right. to just putting the seed in your landscape. You know what? I'll try that. Thanks a lot. Well, good luck. All right. Bye. Yeah, I mean, the rows of Sharon, we've got some down the street from us. The It's a row, and basically what they used it for to kind of the screen from the sidewalk to their backyard. And it used to be a spectacular group of rows of Sharon, but it's one of those plants that once it starts aging, it's really getting kind of rough. And now they're really tall, they're very skinny, and there's very few flowers, and they're only at the very top of the plant. We're going to head to Chester, Illinois, and talk to Steve. Hi, Steve. Yeah. Hi there. Hi. Uh, I got a question about aeration. Okay. Would uh, uh, do you think that when you do that, you bring up the weed seed that's in the ground? No. It won't. This weeds are not the weed seed is not necessarily penetrating into the ground. The weed seeds usually just on the surface. Okay. So the core aeration brings the plugs out like the size of a wine bottle cork. But, no, that's not bringing weed seeds up necessarily, no, by, I mean, the weeds, if they're already there, they're going to come up anyway. So yeah. what you're trying to do is, you know, with the core aeration is to help the, the soil and then putting compost down afterwards, then that even helps the soil more. And, consequently, a healthy soil makes a healthier lawn which actually helps battle the weeds as opposed to making it, the weed problem worse. Okay. I just happened to think about that, and I didn't know if that would bring that up or not. No, it shouldn't. You know, I'm not saying it doesn't, but it's that's not a factor to be overly concerned with. Okay. Thank you very much, yep. then. 
Okay, we're going to go to Afton and talk to another Jim. Wow, back to Afton, huh? All yeah. right. Hi, Jim. Yeah. Hi, Mike. Hey, I got a problem. I got a beautiful lawn. I've had it for three years, but I've been fighting this dichondra constantly. Uh, I went to a couple um, lawn care places. They just grabbed some weed killer. It says here, it says it kills dichondra. Use this. But it's. Uh, I tried pulling it out by hand last year, which was, you know, like arranging the chairs on the Titanic. I got nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's a, you know, that's a tough plant to get rid of, but just, you know, really, if you have a, a stand of any kind of weeds, it's going to take multiple years and multiple applications during that time to get it under control. One application of anything is not going to get virtually anything under control. I was worried last year. I probably uh, treated it three or four times uh, without knowing what I was doing, thinking I could be, you know, um, hurting the rest of the grass. But it didn't really. But it, then again, it didn't do much with the dichondra. I was thinking about uh, I'm having my lawn cut uh, either tomorrow or the next day. I wanted to apply another application of weed killer to it. Like you said, if you step on it and open up the pores, it'll right. absorb that weed killer better. And uh, I, the best way to do it is, I guess, after the grass is cut. But is it too hot to do that? Yeah, I mean, just read the label on whatever you're putting down because every chemical is going to have a little bit, of, you know, let's say a, a variation on where it's going to say, do not apply if the, you know, the temperature is this you know, versus okay. this. Okay. So every yeah. label is, should be read before any kind of chemicals applied to any part of the landscape. Because I know I had a little uh, nuts edge, and uh, I called a couple of years ago. You said get a specific nuts edge killer, right? And it knocks it out right away. It browns up the next day, right? It does. But, the, but this dichondra, yeah, it's my white whale. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so there's certain weeds that are just absolutely brutal. There's no getting around it. Violets there is, is no specific uh, weed killer that, that targets dichondra specifically? Not that I know of. There probably is from a professional standpoint. So, in other words, you have to mm. have a, you know, a state-certified license, applicator's license, to be able to purchase it. But I don't think there is going to be one just for, over, let's say, over-the-counter type stuff. Now, what? Just say if I want to. I'm not opposed to you know going out and, and you know and and waging war with this stuff. But how often can I treat it? Uh, I wouldn't overdo it. I would probably say again, read the label. But usually, uh, making applications more than you know once a, every three to four weeks would be excessive. So probably once a month should be adequate. I'm okay at once a month. All right. All right. I'll let you know how uh, how the war ends. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you have questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Okay, we're going to go talk to John in South St. Louis. All right. Hi, John. Yeah, Mike, is there a proper way to plant a peach tree seed? Uh, I bought bought eight peaches the other day. Uh, I won't tell you why. I guess you're not allowed to do that. But anyway... 
They are the most delicious, juicy, sweet peaches I ever had in my life, and I'm 89 years old, and I want to plant those seeds. I ate all of them in one day. I couldn't stop. Wow. That's yeah, a they're lot of delicious. I, I would want to know, do you lay the peach seed flat down, or does the pointy side go down, or, 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 or and how deep would it go? Basically, you need to get, uh, first of all, you know, without knowing exactly what kind of peach this is, if this was a standard size peach tree, it's going to be 10 to 12 years before it's going to bear any kind of fruits whatsoever. If it's a semi-dwarf, it's going to be about six to seven or eight years. And if it's a dwarf, it's going to be you know five to six years before you're going to get any kind of peaches at all. You can uh-huh. grow, you can grow them for fun if you want to. But again, yeah, that's what I want to do because I know I'll be long gone by then. But at least uh, the people that would uh, take over my property, yeah. they would have some nice peaches. Yeah, and some of the varieties won't you know won't do well here. But you could try it. But I would get again go to your favorite garden center and get a you know a potting mix for starting seed, and then just basically I would put them just in a you know in a you have eight seeds. Is that what you said? Maybe in a like a one gallon pot or a two gallon pot filled with potting mix for starting seed, and just put the seeds probably maybe three inches deep. In the oh, three mix. inches deep? Yeah. Okay. And it doesn't matter if they're horizontal, if they're vertical, it does, you know, that's not going to be a factor. Okay. And also, are any of these sort of seeds popping open? No. So, okay, because sometimes you can get a peach that's kind of overly ripe, and uh-huh. then you, you eat it, and then you can see it's already starting to split open. Yeah. Okay, no, they're not. So it'll probably take a long time. Oh, one other question. Sure. I read somewhere a long time ago that uh, if you do plant seed, peach tree seeds, you know, from a fresh peach, uh, then you put it in the refrigerator uh, for for the uh, for the season, and then plant it at the at the end of that particular summer season. Is that any truth to that? Well, you could do that, but you might as well just get it in a pot and just you're going to dig a hole. Once you get them planted, dig a hole in a garden space and then just drop the pot into the hole and just let the wintertime, normal wintertime, normal weather, all that other stuff take, you know, take over as opposed to trying to you Okay, know, you did. You, you helped me a lot. I'm going to give it a try. And somebody up the road in eight, eight, ten years, they're going to have some beautiful peaches. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Certainly. Bye-bye. We're going to go to Arnold and talk to Bob. Hello, Bob. Hello. Hey. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, uh, my name is Jim. Oh. I'm calling from uh, calling from uh, Afton, South St. Louis. Oh, I Jim used to from think Afton. Live... Oh, Bob yeah, I think I used to me. live by you on Wandover, south of Holly Hills. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I moved just across Riverdale Pier. I live on the other side. It's a city, but it's a stone throw away from Athens. Yes, right. sir. What I'm calling about is uh, I bought these elephant ears, the big variety ones, the tall ones. Mm-hmm. They told me that you have to dig them up at the start of winter. I heard some people say they mulch them, keep them insulated, and they come back. What What is your opinion? Uh, it's going to be iffy. It depends upon how severe the winter is actually going to be. Do you have them in the ground in the ground and not in a pot, correct? They're right. They're in the ground, like in a concrete thing with a light pulls at. Yeah. But they're in the ground, and I thought maybe if I mulch them and build, you know, insulate them, they might come back instead of having to dig them up. Yeah, I mean, in reality, you're advised to dig them up just in case we have a really severe winter. 
But you could try. And, you I don't know how many you, you have, but you could try. I got three, you know, three, three of them, three big plants growing right by the light bulb. Probably what I would do is I would leave maybe one out and dig the other two up and take it inside, shake all the soil off of it and everything else for the wintertime and just put it in a paper bag, the two that you're bringing Should in. Should I store and, it in, uh, like, rice or uh, sawdust to keep it dry? And- no, you don't need to do that. Just wrap it in newspaper and put it in a paper bag. And in a cool, a cool dark place, like in the basement? Yeah, just, you know, someplace right. where it's not going to. And then leave one out and see what happens. See if it survives the wintertime. All right, that sounds like a great idea. Thank you. All right, good luck with that. And that way you're assured of at least having, because, I mean, if you're getting the really big ones, some of those are like 29 bucks or 30 bucks for, you know, one elephant ear bulb. No, no, they didn't charge me that much. It was like uh, maybe $15, $18. Okay, well, that's a good deal. Yeah, yeah. I bought them at Bears. They probably couldn't say that on your show, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's all right. Have a, have a nice day. Bye-bye. You do the same. Okay, Bob from Arnold called back in. All right. Hi, Bob. Hi, Mike. Got one quick question. Fungicide. Can you put that down any time if you got fungus or not, or is it a good idea or what? Uh, ideally, fungicides is best when your fungus really is at the very beginning to be most effective. Putting it down, yeah. you know, again, read the label temperature-wise and everything else. Find out if it's going to be effective on what you're going to apply it to whether it's like, let's say, powdery mildew on lilacs or phlox, or whether it's, you know, fungus or fungus in your lawn. There's all kinds of different funguses, different fungicides. Yeah. This here's for lawn. Okay. So... I got I got zoysia out front, and I just... This real damp weather, I was just wondering. I bought a bag. I don't think I need it, but I was just wondering, can you put it down as preventive? Well, you can. Basically, you can. That's the best way to do it as a preventative... And especially with the zoysia, but again, read the label in the, on the bag before you make the application in relationship to temperatures, because you could cause some major problems by putting it down with the intense heat. Yeah. All right, that's what I was more or less curious about. All right, great. Thank you. Yep. Okay, now we're going to head over into the county of St. Louis and talk to Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi. Hi, um, I have two questions. One is um, about 25 years ago, we ordered a little um, dogwood called Benji Fuji from where I don't even remember, but it just came as a twig. And now it's this tree's about 12 feet tall and it has the most beautiful flowers and they last for a long time. I was wondering if I can cut a clipping and somehow start another one. Yes, you can. This probably um, doing it this time of year is not the best time of year, but what you need okay. to do is, again, get a potting mix for starting plants, and you need to get a rooting hormone at your favorite garden center, and you're going to make a cutting of about you know 8 to 10 to 12 inches long at a 45-degree angle, then dip it into the rooting hormone, and then put the twigs. I'd probably make multiple twig cuts and get a okay. one-gallon black plastic nursery pot with the potting mix in it, and just put all the cuttings in there, and then, again, dig a hole in a garden space and just drop the pot down into a hole with the top, let's say, inch or so above the surrounding ground. And when do you say what's the best time of year to do I it? I would probably do it. Uh, my tendency would be, make first of all, make sure that you know the branch that you're the branches you're cutting off do not have flower buds on them. So in other words, those little round okay. things. So, okay. Because that can really stress a plant out. 
And uh, so just find some twigs that don't have that. And I would probably try some going into fall time. So, okay. And then maybe try again some in the spring just to see what's, you know, what's going to be the most effective. And just leave them out over winter then? Oh, absolutely. Okay. And then my second question is kind of a strange thing, but um, I've had a garden for many years. I've never had something come and eat all the leaves off of a green pepper. And that happened to me night before last. Do you know what would eat a green pepper, the leaves off? If, let's see. I'd have, my tenants, they'd have to say it's a rabbit. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, more so cool. than anything else. I'm assuming you don't okay. have, you know, and why it's choosing that is because even though we've had all this rain and everything else, we've still had some of these dry spells. And so consequently, right. they're going after moisture. And so these okay. are probably fairly robust plants. So consequently, the leaves have more, a lot of moisture in them. Okay. Oh, well, thank you very much. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're going to head over to Creve Corps and talk to Sandy. All right. Hi, Sandy. Hey, good morning, Mike. Um... I have a question about what's happening in a bed of sedum acre that I have. It's about 16 feet long. It borders my patio. <clears throat> and I put it in about, oh, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago. And a couple of years ago, I started noticing some strawberry plants in there. And <clears throat> I know that they weren't there when I planted the sedum acre because I did it myself. Right. Anyway, um, my question is, even though I've been trying to pull them out, I, I haven't been successful, and the bed is too dense for me to use a chemical killer. I'm afraid I'll uh, damage the sedum acre, which is beautiful, by the way. Right. Um, and what I want to I've also noticed it just in this last year that now I'm seeing some strawberry plants on the far corner of my my uh, yard, not anywhere close to my patio. My question is, if I let the strawberries go, will they overtake the sedum acre, or will they just stay laced in between the sedum acre and really not damage the sedum acre? Now, we're not talking about real strawberries. We're talking about the wild, weedy strawberries that have smaller leaves and smaller fruit, Correct. Well, these leaves seem to be uh, a nice size leaf. I wouldn't know the difference, but it does have a tiny, tiny little red berry. Right. So, in other words, it's wild strawberries. Uh, you could leave it and see what happens, but I mean, you're probably better off to get in there and you know hand weed it out because you. Know, the nice thing about the sedum you know, acre, I have that in between my sidewalk and street. It is one of those steppable ground covers, so you can walk on it to get to the. But you could go ahead and just leave it and see what happens. But usually when something's a weed, it's because it can be overly aggressive and it could, you know, cause some problems with just the sedum overall, you know, as time goes on. So it's just if you're willing to take a chance, just let it go. If not, then you're going to have to go after it. 
Okay, well, I have tried uh, for the last uh, <clears throat> couple of springs, <clears throat> excuse me, I have tried finding the base of the plant and pulling it out. Yeah, you got to get the full roots. You have to get the entire root. So you have to yeah. use a weeder, which looks kind of like a screwdriver. Yeah, um, I, I haven't been real successful, and it seems that, you know, I, I'm not getting rid of it, even though I've tried, and I've tried very early in the year where I can get down to the dirt itself and find the base of the plant. But right. there's so much sedum acre. I mean, the sedum acre um, is very dense, and uh, it's really, really pretty. But, you know, I've got these strawberries laced all through there. Right. So, in other words, this you've got really thick, great sedum acre, but the right. strawberries got their foothold in there some way. So that yeah. shows you that by being a weed, it's going to be aggressive, and it could cause some decline to your sedum as time goes on. So it's, but again, it doesn't a personal die choice. out over the winter ever, right? What's that? Uh, the strawberries do not die out over the winter? No, they don't. They're perennials. Oh. So... All right. Well, I was hoping you'd have better news. <laughs> <laughs> well, ba- the the best time to weed is always, you know, after you've watered or after a rain because if you try to get weeds out hand, you know, hand weeding and the soil is dry, it is a nightmare because usually you just pop the top off, the root system's there, you think you got the plant out and you haven't and then what that does is that thing, you know, grows kind of like this, you know, the seed of acre. So in other words, the original plant brought in by a bird, who knows how the seeds got into the bed space. But then it's sort of like hopscotches and, you know, leaps across and starts new plants, new plants, new plants, new plants. And so, and then also when the, you know, the seeds from the fruit, that can actually start new plants as well. But for the most part, it's just invasive, aggressive due to the root system. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks, Mike. I've got my work cut out for me. Yeah, I've got uh, some of the wild strawberries, too, and, you know, a couple different areas. But And I always think, okay, I got th- this particular weed under control. And then I'll be darned the next year there's still more. So some of the weed seeds can sort of just lay there and not germinate every year. And you think you got them under control, and then all of a sudden there's, you know, some more that's actually germinating. All right. Well, I'll let you know how it goes. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Yep. Okay, we're going to head over to Waterloo and talk to Laverne. Hi, Laverne. Hello, Mike. Thanks for taking my question. I have a black and brown magnolia, and the branches are very close to the ground, and if I wanted to take a few of those off, it's about six, seven feet tall. Uh, How would I do that? Basically, you want to you want to cut them off in sections. So if they're, let's say, if they're longer than like three feet or so, cut it in half. Excuse me. <coughs> cut it in half with a final cut at the trunk or the next major branch it's attached to, and only leave a stub of about a quarter inch. You can do that this time of year if you'd like. Okay. All righty. That answers my question. Thank you again. Certainly. Yeah, but I mean. If it's really hot like this, I wouldn't advise working in the yard. Let's put it that no. way. <laughs> no, but I've had this on my mind, and I just got chance to talk to you. But thank you for your info. Well, great. And you, you don't have to do it now. You can wait until next spring, till after they flower, and then you could prune them right after they flower also. 
So it's oh, just, okay. you do have the option of doing it now. I would not probably, uh, you know, my tendency wouldn't be to do it in the wintertime necessarily, but mm-hmm. uh, summer okay. or early spring would be my advice. All righty. Thank you very much. Yep. Okay, now we're heading back to Afton, I think, for the third or fourth time and talk to Norma. Hi, Norma. Hi, Mike. Hi. I have a question for you. Um, what is a good kind of weed killer to use, like for weeds that are in between sidewalks and where a wall and a sidewalk come together? I'm a little skittish of Roundup for some reason, but is there some green kind of killer that I can use that will kill weeds or not? Or do you have a suggestion for weeds in between cracks? Yeah, I mean, you could. there's a horticultural vinegar that you can use. There's all kinds of organic products if you don't want to use Roundup. But Roundup's going to be by far the most effective. That's the unfortunate okay. thing. Okay, it's, and then another question. I've got a bunch of uh, tiny purple irises along one of my walls, mm-hmm. and they bloom every year, and they're just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I've had to thin them out a few years ago, but this year they did not bloom at all. What is going on? That's kind of strange. Now, you mean so these are dwarf irises, the bulb type, not the tuber type that run on top of the ground? I believe they're the bulb type. Yeah, so it may be an age factor as much as anything. So yeah, just like with the so other iris, too. Though. They were so pretty last year. Right. So Are they too thick? Do they need to be thinned out no, again? not at all. No? It's just okay. you know, age as much as anything. And these are iris bulbs, so they're only going to be like the size of a really small onion. Yeah, I believe they are. I'll have to pull one up and look. Right. But, uh, okay. You know, it's probably age, and if you f- make sure you do some fertilizing, too. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah. And you fertilize right. basically as soon as the foliage starts coming up in the springtime and give it a try. But, it, you know, it may not, okay. may not have an impact at all. Well, thank you. I'll give it a try before I do anything. Right. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. And, uh, folks, I think that's going to do it for this first hour. So if you do have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Again, just be very, very cautious and careful with anything you do personally outside when the weather's like this. This is like absolutely intense. I'm going to work a little bit of time outside because I, you know, I just like to be in the outdoors. But I will, let's say, be really sweaty. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the new... KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Thank you, George, for passing the baton. And folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline. Tip of the trial hour. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, your questions, your concerns, or your comments. By the way, thanks for having me on your show. And you realize if you were not there, I would not be here. We're here to discuss plant selections, ups and downs and all arounds. I've had some really good luck with the majority of plants I've been growing this year. But there is one spot on the front of our house which actually faces the north And the way the roof line is, the water can come down the roof line and jumps the gutter at that spot. And continually, I put a plant there, and I think, okay, this this year the plant is going to do okay, or this season or whatever it happens to be, and I'll be darned. I rotted a begonia by putting it in the spot I knew was a bad spot, but I just keep 
butting my head against the wall because I want to have the plants always look good for maybe two months or so, but then by the third month, they get some root rot. So the stupidity on my part. Anyway, how about your bulbs? As the gentleman called about his elephant ears, can he leave some outside? I've the majority of the plants that I have in pots this year are cannas and elephant ears. So how about your edibles, your tomatoes? How about the ground covers? The lady called last hour about her sedum acre being invaded by the wild strawberries. Your lawn, your perennials, your roses, your trees, your shrubs, your vines, your water gardens. And I like sharing thoughts, but remember, my answers, comments, and opinion is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to sort of consider. Alex is running the board, and he's producing. Again, when you call, just your name and where you're calling from is all he needs. During the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home and whether it's aesthetic, problem-solving, combination of everything else, or inside or outside, it doesn't matter. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. Homepage is where my email and phone number is listed. You can contact me, and I'll come over to your house, and I'll share uh, 40-plus years of experience. Started off when I came back from California after college and uh, worked at the Botanical Garden. Five years there, four years in the English Woodland Garden, and the last year was in the Climatron because— I wanted to move on to something else beyond the Botanical Garden, and consequently, I wanted to work in the Climatron because in 1960, when I was in sixth grade, we took a field trip to the Climatron, and I'd never, ever seen anything like that before. My family, when we traveled or anything vacation-wise, we never went to places with palm trees and that kind of stuff. So anyway, I spent my last year in the Climatron, which was great fun. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me. And it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out to four different plant societies. Three Rivers Rose Society, and that's basically in Alton. So they meet and... uh, what you can do is I'm not going to give, you know, the contact information or anything else, but just realize that there is a Three Rivers Row Society. I'm sure if you go onto the Internet and just put that in, they'll be able to find it for you in Alton. There's a good one. Time to Garden Club. And that's in Centralia, Illinois. So time, T-H-Y-M-E, not T-I-M-E, T-H-Y-M-E is meaning the herb time. And that's uh, in Centralia. Also, the Trenton Tumbleweeds Garden Club, and that's in Trenton, Illinois, and the Troy Garden Club. Now, I don't know if that's Troy, Missouri, or if that's Troy, Illinois. Hmm. I guess I should have looked it up. But anyway, you can check it out yourself. So, again, Three Rivers, Rose Society, Time to Garden Club. I think that's a great name. Uh, Trenton Tumbleweeds, that's a great name, except tumbleweeds don't grow here. But uh, that's okay. And the Troy Garden Club. So they get the tip of the trial this week. If you do have questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Want to take a couple calls, Alex? Sure, we can take a few. All right. Uh, We're going to talk to Corby in South County. Hi, Corby. Hi, how are you today? Very good. Uh, I just have a quick question about my maple leaf hibiscus. Am I supposed to pinch that back in the spring to get those to branch out a little bit more? 
You don't necessarily have to, but if you want to try to, you know, I wouldn't necessarily pinch it all back. I would pinch, let's say, a third of the branches back or the stems or whatever and see what happens and see if you're happy with what, you know, with the end result. Okay, because I know right now they got they got really leggy on me and they're standing about four feet tall. And once they bloomed now, oh, they're face down in the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I just wonder if I was supposed to be pinching them back. I had a couple of lime leaf, uh, the more traditional hibiscus, and I know my mother-in-law always told me to keep that pinched back for right. a while until it buzzed out. So, okay, well, that's all I needed. All right, great. Yeah, I mean, it never hurts, but, I again, don't do it to everything because you don't know what the end result's going to be. And it's- uh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thank you. Certainly. Okay, we're going to go head over to St. Charles and talk to Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Hello, Lisa. You there? Nope. Nope. All right, let's try Sue. Hi, Sue. Okay, let's talk to uh, Robert and Baldwin. Hello, Robert. Let's go to Calhoun County and talk to Al. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Yes, go on. Hi, Al. I, uh, I got trouble with my uh, boxwoods. I did not get them trimmed early this season. Mm-hmm. Is it too late to trim them now, or will they sunburn? They will sunburn badly. So do not prune them you know, in the summertime whatsoever. So, okay. yeah, you're going to just have to leave them alone. And I don't really like to prune going into wintertime either. So if you can handle how they look, even if they look a little shaggy and everything else, until we're, let's say, coming out of wintertime sometime in mid-February, you know, from that point all the way up until the new growth begins, you got that time frame is the best time to do the pruning on most of the broadleaf evergreens. Okay, what about barberries? I got a row of barberries and a row of boxwood right in front of it. Well, the barberries, since they're deciduous, it doesn't matter, but they're still going to get sunburned. Okay. So, in other words, the tips, you know, are providing shade for the foliage that's further down that's going to be now fully exposed, and it could be, you know, sunburned pretty badly. Yeah, it's on the west side of Ooh. the garage. So. And uh, the big pompous grass, you know, is how the center of it kind of uh, dies off and all you got to outer edge? Right. Is there any way to get around that? Nope. That's a genetic thing. They're a clump grower. So the original clump just migrates out from that standpoint. The only thing you can do is basically dig up the entire clump, chop out the center, which will never produce any kind of blades, no foliage ever in the future, and then put this, you know, the perimeter blade, bladed plants, the clumps, back into the original spot or hole. Okay. And I called you about six, seven years ago about a uh, fire blight I had on some Cleveland pears. Mm-hmm. And uh, you said more or less once they get it, they're gone. Well, I got to talking to an orchardist up here in Calhoun, and he said apple trees get fire blight. Absolutely. He said maybe you can try some agromycin. Ah. And I followed the directions. When they first put on the buds in the spring, I mixed it up according to the directions. I sprayed them from top to bottom. And then once the blooms are completely open, about possibly two weeks later, you spray them again. And guess what? I cured them. Really? Wow, that's yeah. great. 
Yeah, it's called agrimycin. Hmm. It's like an antibiotic for fruit trees. Oh, wonderful. You know, I've never really known good success. Usually, even places that have professional staff, once they start seeing the fire blight, they usually just remove the trees, but you, that's Well, great. as long as there's a too far gone, you right. catch it early. Now, the other, I had four. The other two was a little too far gone. I couldn't save them, but ah. the, the two biggest, I, they're still going. I'm looking at it right now. They're 25 foot tall. Sounds perfect. Well, thanks Thank for you the, very much. Yeah, well, thanks for the insight. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. This is a a time of year when it's warm season grass. So in other words, this is grass, annual, not grass, annual weeds that germinate in the springtime. So to take care of these weeds, spurge, ragweed, purslane, knotweed, lamb's quarter, carpet weed, crabgrass, barnyard grass, foxtail, blah, blah, blah. That's when you put the pre-emergent down in the springtime when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. But now we're getting close to the time of year where we need to be thinking about getting a pre-emergent ready or, you know, get your let's say, lawn area measured so you know how many square foot. So in mid to late August, we're going to put a pre-emergent down for the cool season annual weeds. The cool season annual weeds include chickweed, annual bluegrass, henbits, and several others also. So there's really two different times a year that we put a pre-emergent down that controls the annual weed seeds. So in other words, what it does is these weeds drop seeds, they lay there, until it's time for them to be germinating, and then boom, they explode. But that's when you get them under control with using a pre-emergent. So I'll still be talking about that, but the annual cool season weeds, they're going to be germinating in mid to late August. So uh, the weeds are just absolutely crazy. So, Alex, what's going on? We're going to head to Blackjack, Missouri, and talk to Terry. Hi, Terry. Yes, sir. I've been living in my house for 15 years, and I have a nice, beautiful yard. But unfortunately, uh, um, I got molds. Um, I put down some uh, worms, but they moved to another spot. So my question is, how can I control the worms, I mean the molds, and how can I prevent them from coming back again? (laughs) Well, you have a nice yard, obviously, because if you didn't have a nice yard, you wouldn't have the earthworms there. So consequently... Mm -hmm. You know, that's what the moles are after. So there are different, you know, different you know, types of things. You can do injections with poisons and things like that. Uh, but okay. for the most part, you're not going to get rid of the moles permanently. It just doesn't happen. You might get rid of the moles that are there either with killing, you know, with poisoning or those type things. But uh, the moles that are in the neighborhood are going to say, this yard is much better. I can hear those earthworms <laughs> moving. And that's what draws them into yards. That's how they tunnel. It's according to the earthworm movement in the soil. And that's, you know, they're just going after food. There's no getting around it. So if I put down, like I put down poison worms before, I mean, the, uh, last week, and then, um, and then, uh, um, the tone that they did, I put new grass seeds down there and new and uh, and dirt on top of. Then I water it, and I'd be damned if they didn't come back again. So you think <laughs> the watering the, the the grass has something to do with it, or they just 
No, the the earthworms are just all over the place because you have a nice yard. So that's where they're so, you know, they're coming in for. So there's there's in a way to, to contain them from coming back next year, or just well, my my recommendation is the traps. That's what I want. Yeah, Victor spear or choker loop traps. Set the traps mm-hmm. on the most active tunnel areas. Get a couple traps. Mm-hmm. Put them about four or five feet apart along the trap. And go after them that way as opposed to anything else. I, to me, that's been the most effective way that I've ever, okay. you know, found myself. Okay, that's what I call for your suggestion. All right, thank you very much. I yeah. appreciate it. So you can go okay. to the big box stores. You can go to the year-round garden centers and get again Victor Spear mm-hmm. or Choker Loop Trap. Traps. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay, when I set the traps, do you put some on, on the end of them, or you just put them down in the ground? No, you put them I mean, in the ground. Some kind of but if, if you have pets or anything, I'd put a bu- upside-down bucket over the top of the trap so they're not mm-hmm. you know, drawn to something like that. Or if you have young kids or anything at all that might right. be attracted to a trap because it's sticking up mm-hmm. above the ground. Sure, sure. Okay, I got that. I heard they're very ugly looking. <laughs> Who, moles? <laughs> yeah, most. Yeah, I heard they. <laughs> yeah, go online. They probably got all kinds of mole pictures. <laughs> okay. All right. I appreciate it. All right. Great. Okay. We're going to talk to Austin. All right. Austin, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Very good. I was wondering if you could recommend a uh, a bush or a tree in the pine species that would uh, be good for a perimeter uh, fencing type. On uh, and it's going to be in a hundred percent shaded area. It's inside Ooh. of a timber. There is not really anything that's going to do well. How big do you need this thing to get? Um, I would say over five or six, eight foot tall. Probably, I would look at if it's you're going to have to be patient because you know I would look at just the use. So either spreading use or upright use or a combination of both. They're the ones that I'm assuming the shade is created, as you said, it was created by larger trees that are in close proximity. So anything yes. you put in there is going to be have a really difficult time to get established because it's going to be competing with the existing trees. Anything else, arborvitae, pines, spruces, cypress, all that other stuff, they, you know, the ewes are going to have the best chance of survivability, but still they're going to be somewhat iffy at best. What I've cleared out is about 10 foot wide, and then it's about 600 foot long. Whoa. But, uh, you know, like in the summer or in the wintertime, when all you lose all your leaves, then you can see directly in, and I'm getting ready to build inside there, and I just don't want everybody seeing right in. Right. But, and I don't want to have a hearing to have a fence put up. Yeah. I mean, in reality, the trees, however big they are, you got to figure there's that amount of root system below the ground, and that's what anything that you plant is going to have to compete with. So the feeder roots are, that's the main competition, but closer to the trunks, it's going to be, it's just going to be tough at best. Okay. I mean. But ewes are going to be my best bet. Right. I think, you know, looking at, let's say, the Densiformis ewes, the Niger ewes, and the Hicks ewes, they all have different shapes and a little bit different color. A combination of those, you know, those same, basically they're cousins of each other. I would use that as opposed to trying let's say, hemlocks or hollies or whatever else. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. Good luck. Now we're going to talk to Kyle. All right, Kyle. 
Hi. 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 I have a uh, large bed of Pachysandra. That's probably about uh, 400 square feet, something Ooh. like that. And um, I've read conflicting things on whether I should be pruning them. Some are getting real long and leggy instead of, uh, you know, thickening up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what, what's your recommendation? Uh, you know, Pachysandra is a little bit iffy if you've got a good stand of it. You know, the areas where you see it elongating with no leaves and no foliage on it at all, the ivy will do the same thing. I would cut those almost all the way back to where they're actually coming up out of the ground and see if you can stimulate some growth that way. And also at the same time, I would get some, buy a couple flats of new Pachysandra and get that established in this existing stand. Because if you okay. don't do that, it's going to you know, elongate, and you're going to really be disappointed in how it looks. So you're saying like every year probably uh, plant another 50 or 100 plants? Yeah, you don't even need to. Probably if you're going to do it every year, I would say you know, one flat, which has 36 plants, two and a quarter inch, uh, you know, one flat should be enough unless you've got some major large problems as far as yep. where it's really elongating. Maybe initially do more than one flat, but just overall routinely every year just add some new plants to the, you know, let's say the colony. Okay, and is there, uh, as far as feeding that, them or fertilizing, what's, what is the, I've just been using this miracle grow, you know, the, that goes on a spray end of, you know, a sprayer. Is there something better to use for that? No, I mean, it's fine. Just make sure that you get it for, you know, acid-loving plants because Pachysandra, by being an evergreen, is acid-loving and needs some sulfur, it needs some iron, all that other stuff as well. Regular okay. miracle Grow doesn't necessarily have those nutrients, which is essential for anything that's evergreen, whether it's evergreen like an azalea, evergreen like your Pachysandra, evergreen like periwinkle. So it just needs a little bit of elements, nutrients, a little bit different. For acid-loving plants. Okay, great. Thank you. All right. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. All right, Alex, where are we headed? We are heading to Rich in North County. All right. Hi, Rich. Hi, how you doing? Very good. I have a, a garden in the front, and I have recently planted some daylilies. And I want to know, can I get some of those cedar chips and plant them, uh, put them around the daylilies, and have the daylilies come up whenever they start coming up in the spring? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's just a regular mulch. The daylilies can push through it. Just be cautious about putting mulch down this time of year because of the heat factor. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I can wait. Yeah, the mulch has, I mean, it's got, you know, heat of its own, and then you've got the natural heat that's, you know, there due to the temperature and everything else. So, if you can wait and, you know, for another until like, let's say the end of August, I wouldn't probably put it down before then. Okay, sounds good. Now, I also have some. Tulips, uh, jonquils, and some of those surprise lilies in the same bed. They'll be able to push up between 
the uh, compost eventually, won't they? Yeah, absolutely. And just make sure you don't make it too deep. So with the mulch, you want it only one to two inches deep. Don't push it any. Sounds good. Don't make it any deeper than that. Okay. Thank you very much. Certainly. Okay. Okay. Now we're going to talk to Terry. Hi, Terry. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you, Mr. Miller. I'm wondering if I put a fungicide down on my lawn and it's not fungus, will it hurt the grass? Well, we, again, if you do it when you, and the temperature is really hot, you could really cause some major problems. In general, okay. it will not. If you put a fungicide down and it's not a fungus problem, then the fungicide is just kind of you spend some money and wasted your time and that other stuff. So I... We should wait now until it cools off. We had suddenly some brown grass appeared, like in circles, and I looked online, and it said it could be from, you know, not watering enough, but we are pretty good at watering, and we did a lot of reseeding and that last year, and the grass came up beautiful this year, and then all of a sudden we got some brown spots. But I I tugged at the grass, and it doesn't come out easily, so that supposedly means it's not like dried out and there were some roots on it so they said because it also could be like i guess bugs or something eating it so i don't know what it is i mean it just turned brown it just like all of a sudden it seemed like overnight just a couple individual spots is that what we're talking about correct yeah i would say you know this is just a sort of to me just in general, not just this year being the exceptional or anything else, it is just very difficult to have a perfect lawn here. There's no getting around. This is a transition zone. You know, the northern grasses, can, the cool season grasses can, don't go much further south than this. And the warm season grasses, the zoysas, don't go very much further north. So we're in that transition zone where the grasses are just always struggling to be perfect and Having a perfect lawn, even at the botanical garden, is extremely difficult. So we get a little bit obsessed with you know this these kind of uh-huh. things and uh, individual spots. Yes, you don't want your lawn to turn entirely brown, but individual spots I wouldn't be overly concerned with. Just keep you know keep abreast of okay. what's going on and you know m- let's say make adjustments as needed. But it sounds like okay. to me. It's just a product of living in St. Louis. Okay. We do the Scots, you know, four different times, right. one, two, three, four. And I know I heard you say earlier, I guess you were speaking about the number four, which would be the pre-emergent in mid-August. Right. Okay. Would that be a time? Should I go ahead and if things are still brown, should I put a fungicide on it or, or should I just leave it? If the spots are just the same size or not getting any bigger, then I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. If they start okay. expanding and getting bigger, then maybe a fungicide would be something I'd consider. Okay, but definitely at cooler temperatures. Right. Okay, got it. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Certainly, my pleasure. Okay, now we're going to go talk to Sue. Hi, Sue. How are you? Hang on. Oh, the mic? Yes. Oh, hey. I'm good. Uh, I had you in my pocket. <laughs> you had me in your pocket? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was listening to you through the pocket because I was rinsing out a paintbrush. Oh, I see. Hey, listen. I've got uh, bee balm 
You know, and it's mostly, uh, well, in the back I had purple, and then, the, you know, I got some red also. Right. But um, it's bloomed, and I cut, you know, I cut the blooms off as they come in and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, but can I cut that back, like, two-thirds or something and make it short, or do you leave it, Basically, you know, skimmy like that with no blooms on it, or... You could cut it back, but I would leave the until the foliage starts going, let's say downhill a little bit. I wouldn't cut it back because that's how you increase the size of the colony. Is the root system uptakes nutrients and moisture, it sends it up to the leaves. The leaves use the sunlight to make food, and then that makes the colony of the bee balm that much bigger. So I wouldn't necessarily cut it back. Now you can cut the flowers off if you want to, but until the foliage starts turning, let's say off color, off green, then I would not cut it back. Okay, okay, uh, because uh, I, I was hoping, like, you know, when I cut the blooms back, you know, when you cut them back, I was hoping, you know, to, to see some re-blooming, you know, later. No, I, I don't, you know, repeat blooming, that's going to be very iffy. You may get it, but uh, that's not something that normally happens with the bee ball. Okay, and then on hostas, um, uh, I got tons of them, but... Um, you know when they flower and everything, they're beautiful and blah blah blah. But then you know those those uh, those things get uh, you know wilty. You know all the little flowers are off of them. You got right. the little seed pods on them. Um, now is that good to cut those back? Because I was kind of reading, and it's like uh, some say cut them back, and some say don't. I don't know why you wouldn't. I mean, hosta. Let's say even if it's been the flowers pollinated and it produced seed. Growing hosta from seed or naturally is going to be iffy at best. So if you want to get rid of them aesthetically, I would just cut them off, the flower stalks. Okay. I thought maybe if you cut them off, it, it, it promoted more uh, root growth. Not necessarily. You know? No. Not necessarily. No. But, yeah, I didn't really realize that those little uh, things that came up, you know, the, the flowers. Right. I didn't realize they had seeds in them. <laughs> until I uh, cut one off and, uh, you know, I kind of looked inside it. Right. And it's like, I'll be darned. Yeah. So they, they so you can take, so I could take those seeds, because I cut them off and I saved them, the, the tops of them that had the seed pods on them. So you could literally uh, take those seed pods and go uh, uh, throw them uh, in an area and, and they might produce hostas. They might, but the chances are pretty minimal. Oh, okay. I usually just dig them and split them, you know, yeah. but I got so many of them. You know? Yeah, that's basically, that's, I mean, that's how the professionals do. I don't know if anybody grows hosta from seed, even professional, you know, production nurseries. Uh-huh. Well, you answered my questions. Oh, oh, one other thing about the hostas. I've got them around some trees out back here, and the deer still come up and get them, and they're about, oh, 15 feet off of my uh, pat- patio uh, window, you know, my patio, patio door. Sure. And, um, they're smaller because they're in an enclosed, um, uh, uh, you know, round, circular, you know, I have bricks, you know. Uh, the other ones I have more loose on the side of the house, which they have more room to grow and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it seems like they, they don't get very big around the tree. Uh, but it seems like when I kind of dig one up or dig something around it, I got a lot of little roots from the tree there. They're, they're shallow roots. Is that right. because there is too too much roots in there that they're not growing yeah this i mean there's basically growing on boards which is just the tree yeah. you know the tree wood the tree roots but yeah i mean any kind of woody plant material is going to you know potentially restrict the size 
Yeah. And variety wise is going to have, you know, a difference too. So that's all, you know, that plays a role too. Some of the, some varieties can handle the competition with the tree roots much more than, let's say, the variegated ones. They don't do so well. The smaller leafed uh-huh. ones don't do so well. The bigger leafed ones, like Big Daddy or Francie or Francis Williams, they seem to do better, you know, unless there's just, you know, too close to the trunk. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thanks for your help. I love your show. Certainly. Well, thank you. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. Where are we headed, Alex? We're going to talk to Gloria. Gloria, how are you today? Hello, Gloria? Yes. Go ahead. Here I come. Here I come. Sorry. All right. But anyway... Good morning. How are you doing today? Very good. Anyway, I had my front yard seized um, last year with the, uh, you know, your company that you call, uh, Allen Tree Service. Okay. So my grass was so pretty because I told them they did a good job on it because it had those diseases and stuff in it, whatever. But anyway, so in March, my grass was green in April, and then... I had two green stalk fertilizing. Now, all half of my grass is just nothing but brown, you know, where it's just dead. Right. I know I talked to Kevin from uh, Allen Tree Service, and he told me, to, you know, uh, probably was too much stuff to put on there, too strong. Because one side, the other side I got is not, you know, somebody said I cut it too short. My lawnmower is on three. But if it was that case, my other side of my yard would be like that, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to find out what can I do because I'm doing myself because I'm tired of spending my money and people have do some, you know, True Dream did give me my money back and they made all kinds of excuses what it was and this and that, you know, but they never, you know, so I went to a couple of places to check out what I can use. They told me, can I disease X or something? Can I rake that all that dead out and then put the disease on? You mean put new seed down? Not the grass seed, the, the, the stuff to kill them when I was eating it up. Well, you don't know what it is, so they're right, right. I mean, so you'd just be shooting in the dark. I'd say you can definitely rake it up. I wouldn't necessarily just go out and just start spraying something because you don't know what the problem was. If it was too much of something and re- related with our crazy weather that we had this spring and rain and all that other stuff. Who knows uh-huh. what it is? Unless you know specifically, there's nothing that you can put down that's going to make any difference, really, to be honest. Well, what if I just wake uh, all the old up and put, uh, I got plenty of grass seed and throw some grass seed in those boxes to see if they'll come back. Right. But don't do it. You know, don't put the seed down this time of year because it's before I it can know. get established, it's just going to be too hot. Rake the area up and... Uh, you know, then probably towards mid to late August, then put the seed down at that time and get a seed starter type fertilizer. Oh, okay. But nobody could tell me exactly, you know, what it is, you know. I mean, True Green made all kinds of excuses, but I've never used them no more because they <laughs> lied too much. Sorry say that. But anyway, thank you very much. I knew you would tell me the right thing to do. All right, great. Well, good luck. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, we're going to go talk to Dan. Hi, Dan. 
Hello, Dan. Are you there? Hello? Yes, go ahead. Oh, this isn't Dan. This is Linda, but oh. I heard the phone beep, so I thought it was me. All right. Okay, so anyway, I had a beautiful large pot, probably 12 inches across or more than that, 15 inches, of geraniums and verbena and lobelia. And practically overnight, the geraniums turned yellow, the lobelia is still kind of okay, but the verbena just looked like it completely dried up, like it had no water, and the geraniums looked overwatered. Is it just the weather? I don't really think that I overwatered the pot because I have several, I have window boxes and all that stuff, so I know how to take care of pots and stuff, and it has good drainage. Any clue of what could have happened or if those geraniums, if I set them now, they were in sun, morning sun, and then shade all afternoon, and they were gorgeous. Looked really good, and I always have a pot in that same place. But just like overnight, they turned yellow and the other stuff dried up. I would say it has to be related to the potting mix, you know, for for everything to happen that dramatically that quickly. It was like that one spot I was talking about in the first hour where I always put this, you know, this one pot in the runoff from the roof, you know, jumps a gutter. And, you know, I just I've rotted a, you know, rotted a begonia that I had in there. And I every year I put different things there to think, well, I know I can grow things that we can handle the extra moisture like spider plants and things along that line. But to me, it sounds like a root rot circumstance for everything to kind of implode all at the same time for the most part. Well, it's miracle Grow potting mix. Well, that's you know, just kind of the same thing I use every year, yeah, and I don't fun. keep it. So it was brand-new potting mix, too. So I don't know. Pull, <laughs> well, just pull <laughs> your plants out. Really just weird. Yeah. Pull the plants out and take a look at the roots. Okay. And that's the best way to know, you know, what's going on. Okay. All right. Thanks, Mike. Certainly. We're going to go to Manchester and talk to Lee. Lee, how are you? Hello, Lee. Hmm. Go ahead, Lee. You're going to have to do it kind of quickly. Ah, I'm not going to get into my... Lee? Is this Donna? Oh. Yes, it is. Okay, oh. go, Donna, go. Yeah, oh, sorry. hi, good morning. I've got some hollies that I had people put in up in my hill. Uh, I went up there and realized it's all in rock, and the hollies are not looking really good. They planted them about last November. Mm. They looked great this spring, and now all of a sudden I'm seeing that we're getting some yellow leaves. Any chance, What? any suggestions on what I should do? Do you think I'm going to have to dig the hollies up and amend the soil, or do you think there's just no hope? Yeah, if there's no, you know, if the soil is not in good shape, Broadleaf evergreens like holly have a very, very difficult time. They need to be well-drained for sure. Now, well, if they're well-drained. There's lots of rock in there. Yeah, if you're just having random yellow leaves, that's related to just being a new transplant in this location. But if you're Not having random. major branches yeah. turn yellow, then that's a bad, bad, bad sign. Sign, yeah. What do you think? Uh, you know, it's... What should I do? Just take some, Why don't you just take a couple of pictures of them and email me the pictures, and then I'll let you know what I think. Sounds great. All right. Thank you so much, Mike. Certainly. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be about our last call. So if we try to squeeze another one in, people are just going to be disappointed. So everybody just watch out due to the heat. That is going to be the most problematic thing we got right now. Even if we're going to have some cool days coming up on Monday or something, that's fantastic. 
But the plant material is out there, and they're stressed all day long, every day. So you realize you go out and you walk around your yard just to you know, sort of check stuff out. By the time you get back in, you're almost exhausted as a result of it. So think about your poor plant material. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.